0: Uh, well, uh, welcome, want to welcome as we continue this series, uh, Deep Water Faith. It was great having Dave Nelson with us the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to continue on. I had the opportunity to take a little bit of vacation, also travel. I went down to California, was speaking at a church, a friend of mine, pastor's, and was flying back up. And it was one of those flights where every seat was not full. So I thought I was in great. Shape. It was a Southwest flight. Everyone gets to choose their own seat. And so I'm sitting on the end, which is great. Uh, Sometimes I'll actually cough a little bit to make people think that I'm sick. Uh, (laughs) I'm not kidding. I do that. And uh, because I just want to. So I'm sitting there in the flight and uh, a lady comes in, like you know, uh, probably somewhere in her 20s. And she sits between me and the other person in the coveted middle seat. And we're there, and I'm like, okay, this is sort of interesting, Uh, really pretty pretty nice. And uh, the flight was going through Las Vegas, and that's where she got on uh, the flight. And then she started to engage me in conversation and uh, sort of asked me, you know, the typical questions, all of that. And so I made the mistake of saying, hey, what were you doing? And she was telling me how she went to this wild weekend of partying in Vegas and how she met some guys and everything that happened with those guys. It was way too much information. Uh, and so then, so then I think it's think I going to get a little bit better. And I say, did you see any shows while you were in Vegas? She says, I saw this great, by the way, kids here, sex show in Vegas. And then I'm like, okay, and I turned the other way. Let next moment out of her mouth, or next sentence out of her mouth was, so what do you do? <laughs> and I'm not, I could not make this up. I really couldn't make this up. Uh, I said, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. And she, you could just see all the blood drain out of her at that moment. And she goes, oh, that's nice and uh, (laughs) she went on to tell me a little bit of, of, of her story and how you know she really didn't believe in God and and sort of the reason why she didn't believe in God, and most of it had to do with lifestyle issues, how she thought God might not approve of her lifestyle. I said, God, your mama don't approve of your lifestyle, sweetie. So uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so we're having this conversation, and uh, so she's like, you know, gosh, what could, you know, she says, gosh, you seem like such an intelligent, good-looking guy. Why would you believe in God? And she didn't say that, but I knew that. That's what she was thinking at that moment. <laughs> and, uh, and, and as I was thinking of that, I was thinking of how so many people are like that. And I think it's not just people in our society. I think there are some of us who are going to be here this weekend. And although we have a level of faith, there's a level of skepticism that goes with it. And it really, you know, it starts out when you're little, you know, the whole Santa Claus fiasco followed by the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. And you're just like, okay, is that sort of the God thing? How does this really fit in to my life? And if you're here and you say, I have doubts, by the way, I think people all have some level of doubt. Uh, your doubts are welcome uh, at Timberlake. In fact, I think doubt is a healthy thing when it's true doubt, not just a wall. But really, when you're seeking understanding, because I I do believe that that will uh, lead you to God. Uh, Today, I want to look at why why the faith option. And and I'm backing it up from uh, even Jesus, although I believe that Jesus is how we know God, and we're going to look at that a little bit. But why the faith option at all? Maybe you've been reading uh, some of the research by the Pew Research Organization on religion in society. It's been quoted by uh, every major news outlet in the country, how uh, there's a group of people who, a growing group of people who are called the nuns. They sort of have no real religion. It's about 22% uh, who would say, you know, I don't, just don't believe in anything nationally, and about double that, 43% locally. And you might say, oh, well, what, wow, that's a real bad thing. See, I think that's a great opportunity because I come from that background. We were uh, uh, nuns growing up. I come from a secular Jewish background, which really my parents, they really didn't believe in, in much at all. Sort of thought that God was more of a, of a myth. In fact, when one of my sisters, uh, she was, uh, her and her boyfriend decided to get married. I've shared this story before. She was a bartender uh, at a tavern on South Tacoma Way, and she got a free apartment under the tavern. She was living there with her boyfriend, and uh, she decided to get married, and they talked to this pastor uh, because the boyfriend said, hey, we should probably get married in a church. And he said, you know, have you ever really considered the faith option?" She became a follower of Christ. We just thought she had lost her mind, and it was, you know, some sort of bad LSD trip or something like that, and didn't realize that it could be life-changing. Because honestly, how I grew up is that people of intellect would not really consider faith as a serious driver in their life. In my life, it's changed a little bit. Obviously, I'm a pastor, but I went from thinking that faith wasn't a real option to thinking that faith was a legitimate option to really, at this point in my life, I truly believe it is the most realistic option uh, and really hard to understand not taking the faith option. I'm not alone, uh, not only among Christians, but really among most people in our society. And I I think as we're going to look at some of our greatest thinkers as well. And it affects absolutely everything about us. So here's what I'm going to do today. Today I'm going to more teach than preach. I have way more material than I'm going to be able to get into, so I hope you packed your lunch. <laughs> no, <laughs> the, I have way more material uh, than I can really get to, but, but what I want to do is do a few things. One, I want to uh, engage you, not ridicule you if you say, hey, I've got some real serious doubts. Uh, I want to encourage you in your faith, uh, and I want to give you tools for discussion when it comes to faith in the book of hebrews and we've looked we went back to the book of hebrews several times this year and i'm going to go there again the last part of chapter 10 the first part of chapter 11 it it talks about the necessity of faith 39 times the word faith is used in the book of hebrews it says therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Faith is something that's active. It's meant to be a driver in our life. Now, faith is also defined. What what is faith? Maybe you've asked that question quite legitimately. Uh, It's given for us in Hebrews 11.1. We're given the definition of faith. It says, now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is really the definition of faith. It's grabbing that intangible thing that becomes tangible in our life. Well, uh, it's not based on irrational belief, but it's by going to the edge of what you know and taking one more step. Well, why is this important? Because it also says in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we're told again and again about the necessity of this thing called faith, but it can seem so hard to grab a hold of. So my goal for today is simply this, and this is your first filling: is a reasonable trust. And, and I would say this too, is maybe a more active trust than you've had before. See, oftentimes uh, we will think of faith uh, more, uh, w- well, Blaise Pascal, who is a physicist who became a follower uh, of Christ, uh, he is known for what's called Pascal's wager. And this is how he describes, he, you know, he, he was sort of hedging his bets when he talked about faith. So uh, he, he, he says, here's the choices of belief and the metaphysical pro- probabilities. He said, if I do believe in God exists, infinitely good. That's a good thing. I get a relationship with God. I go to heaven. That's awesome. If I do believe and he doesn't exist, he said, well, for him, that's about even. You know, sort of like, okay, I had a faith. Well, if I don't believe in God and God exists, infinitely bad. <laughs> that is a bad choice. That's, you know, you're not one that you want to get wrong. Uh, and he said, if I don't believe in God, doesn't exist about even. So he, 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 he just says, well, y- you'd want to really say there's a lot of good for belief, but I want us to go beyond that. Not that just, hey, I want to hedge my bets, I want to take out my uh, fire insurance, but that I want God to be present in my life. It says this in Ephesians 4.4, 4, because of our faith in him, we dare to have boldness, courage, and confidence in coming to God with freedom and without fear. See, I think you can have incredible confidence in your life when you take hold of this faith. Well, here's the truth. Uh, most, many of the people we talk to aren't gonna share that faith. Maybe you're saying, hey, that's me Here today. So, what are we supposed to do? Go out there, march with a sign? We were driving uh, down to Tacoma. I went to the car museum finally, which was awesome for me. That was like a spiritual experience all in and of itself. Uh, Because I'm sort of a uh, love old cars. And uh, there was someone walking around the mall with one of those signs, you know, believe in Jesus or burn in hell, those sort of signs. And I'm like, you know, I'm not sure if that's the best way to really convince people that God loves them and, you know, wants to have a relationship with them. And the Bible would say that as well. It says this, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you'll know how to answer everyone. And so, really, what I want to do is uh, to help us understand, uh, again, the claims of the Scripture and how those of you, may, maybe you're from a scientific background, you say, can science and my faith, can they really come together? Maybe you believe in God, but you've compartmentalized them. Now, here's the truth, 95% of science... Doesn't have really anything to do with the Bible. And 95% of the Bible is not going to really intersect that much with science. But that 5% can cause a lot of tension. Uh, And I believe it's not an irreconcilable tension, but it's a tension that we can live with and hopefully bring a little bit of understanding to uh, today as we look at this. Well, what are the internal claims about God from the Bible? the internal uh, claims are this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible says that that God was there right in the beginning. There is a God and there is a creator God. This is often where many people have uh, difficulty. And I'm going to look at that. We're going to spend most of our time here up front in the message. Uh, We also... uh, See this later on, the claim that God would make for himself through the prophet Isaiah uh, 44. He says, I am the first and the last. Uh, there is, there's no one apart from me, there's no other God. That there's no God apart from me. He's the Alpha and Omega, Is we'll find in some translations. Which really uh, means right at the beginning and right at the end, eternally existent. And then later on in the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, we find this claim uh, as well. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we have this, and then we have people who say, you know, really, can I have that kind of faith in that all-powerful creator God? Is that a real option for me? So uh, you could study uh, uh, Peter Kreeft, who's a, f- a philosopher. He has uh, 20 reasons, 10 more uh, cosmological, 10 psychological uh, on, on why theism, belief in God uh, is, makes sense. I'm not going to go through that many, but I'm going to look at some of my own, uh, and maybe it'll be helpful to you. Why I've come to believe that faith is the best option. Uh, the first one, and this is a fill-in, is uh, the universe had to start. What caused it? Uh, I've mentioned over and over again uh, that the problem of origins is actually a friend of of Christian belief. Uh, now, I know Christians can vary in how they believe uh, on this topic as well, but there are uh, Stephen Hawking argues against really the, the, the beginning of the universe, because in his writings, and he's probably one of the better known anti-faith people uh, today, he said, if, there begi- if there's a beginning, then there can be a God. And see, there's a problem with that. That's why in 1929, when the Big Bang Theory uh, came out, some of you don't know that that's not just a comedy show, uh, it's actually a, a scientific theory, uh, although if you look on the internet, you'll have a hard time finding that, uh, that there was, there was some dissension among the scientific community. Uh, now, it's interesting today because of how some Christians have come on the subject. Uh, the, the Christian believers among scientists, uh, which, which, by the way, there, the last study done, I think, was 1998. Uh, about forty-four percent of the general population would would say they worship God, and about forty-three percent of scientists. So it's it, it's it's pretty much uh, uh, the the same in that, and that hasn't changed much over the last sixty years. Like I said, the late nineties was the last study that I'm aware of. But but Christian scientists, uh, not Christian scientists, the religion, <laughs> which is. Not much of either, so the uh, and so I know I just offended you, but it's not so. But uh, Christians who believed in science, they said, "Well, Big Bang is great because that isn't that sort of what the Bible talks about." And it and it was those who were saying, "No, I don't believe in a God," that had a hard time with the Big Bang theory in 1965. It sort of became universally accepted in the scientific community, but early on. It was the Christians who said this will this actually makes sense in reading the Bible. But by the by the way, and, and I'm going to get a little bit technical in the weeds here. Uh, if you read the Bible, you read Genesis one and two, uh, you might say, "Hey, you know, some it seems like there's sort of two accounts of creation." And here, let me give you a five-second... Well, that's not true. I'm going to take longer than that. But let me give you a little bit of an explanation of it. Genesis 1 is a song or a chant. That's why you have that that repetition again uh, and again. It's talking about the meaning of creation. Genesis 2 is really more the history of creation. And so uh, you, you have that, and that's why there can be that apparent contradiction. But if you read that in the genre of literature, you can say, okay, what's the meaning, who is the creator, and all of that. Well, among Christians, there's, there's uh, four views, or among people, I would say, not just Christians, there's four views of creation. Uh, one would be uh, young earth creationism. And what that means is, hey, the earth has only been around... Uh, you know, 4,000 years, and uh, that's it. And you might say, well, how in the world would someone believe that? Young earth uh, creationists would say it was created with age. So, uh, or I don't know how, how many years they say, but just a number of thousands of years, that the earth was created with age And so just like Adam, when he came about, he didn't start out as a baby because there's no one to change his diapers. He he was a full-grown man with age. So the universe in that thought would be it came with age attached to it, and that's why we find the age. And there are good Christians who believe that. Uh, By the way, I think God could create it in... It could have taken 20 trillion years or two seconds, whatever he wanted to do, God could do. Uh, So I don't have a hard time with any of these. Uh, And then there's old earth creationism. Uh, And people who hold to this uh, would say the word yom, which means day, is used differently in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Sometimes it's used for a literal uh, 24 or 12-hour day, maybe in Genesis 1. And then later you'd say it's for a period of time. We see glimpses of that where it says like a day with God is like a thousand of years. And so maybe it's talking about uh, a, an age every day when it comes to creationism. And there's a lot of people and good people in, in the more evangelical community who believe that as well. And then there's a theistic evolution. Uh, the, uh, the idea is that this was a God-led process. Uh, they would say that there's a naturalistic evolutionary process, but that God was superintending it, that He was in charge of it. Uh, and now people even in that realm would probably find some disagreement. Is there a trans-species evolution? Can, you know, sort of uh, uh, an amoeba become a cat uh, or something like that? Uh, see, no cat jokes. I didn't say anything bad about cats. And, uh, or, or is it just evolution within species? So all of these, I think, different Christian people could hold and have, and have that as, you know, there can be a reading and a disagreement in that. But see, all of them would say that God is the creator. Now, this next one, I think it would be harder to hold as a Christian in uh, that, that's naturalistic evolution, and that's that it was just a cause, a complete cosmic accident uh, that uh, it just it just happened. Uh, let me move quickly through these others. Uh, the other one is the improbability of random circumstances. Uh, there are thirty major constants uh, that have to be within a few percent. Otherwise, life does not exist. And in fact, Anthony Flew, for those of you who are for science, we we'll recognize him as an Oxford scholar. He was the Richard Dawkins before there was Richard Dawkins. For 50 years, he taught in Europe uh, about the necessity of atheism. Uh, interesting, before he died, uh, he publicly changed his mind. And he admitted that he had been wrong. And he said, because of this point, he said, that it, the impossibility of random circumstances and so again you have something uh, it was sort of like being it, it would be like this it would be like if you played a card game not that I would do anything that evil or sinful uh, and you were playing Texas Hold'em and you got a royal flush eight times a night every night for ten years every time you played could that happen? Yes, but you'd still get beat up. <laughs> See, you know, it really there's really no there's no possible. I mean, not any real possibility uh, for any life yet, let alone the ecosystem as we have it. And then the limitations of the human mind. Uh, we get a little bit uh, of this if you're a Christian. Uh, hopefully you know this, that, that, that I've said this before, a finite mind cannot hold the infinite. That just makes sense. Uh, it says in Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways uh, your ways. See, science can't prove or disprove the existence of God. Uh, it, it really can't. If you say science proves, you really can't prove or disprove, I think, legitimately in my, uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, And it's interesting, among people from the scientific community, there was actually a study done on faith of those who said they didn't believe in God. Uh, Dr. Elaine Eckard from Rice University did a study. Uh, She actually wrote a book by the same name. It's called What Scientists Believe. And she did in-depth interviews with 200 uh, Ph.D. level scientists who were in research or in academics who said they didn't believe in God. And of her research, uh, in her book, you can read that, only 10% gave scientific reasons. Isn't that interesting? 90% were, I prayed for my mom and she had cancer and God didn't heal her. Or I went to a church and I had a bad experience there, or they sort of were anti-intellectual. So, just, just to let you know, there's limitations of the human mind. Number four, that uh, there's the implausibility of an impersonal cosmic force. Uh, just think about it this way: if there's an, there's not some galactic amoeba which could give us personality, character, emotions, and yet would by, would lack those in and of themselves. So, so you would see that that if, if there is a creator God who could endow all of this, then that God would by necessity, be able to reveal themselves to us. And that's why my, my fifth reason for me is common narratives about God. Uh, when I went to the University of Washington, by the way, which is not an evangelical Christian institution, if you don't know that, uh, <laughs> I, I studied a lot of economics and history, and the arguments that many of my professors, although some were, were Christ followers... Uh, tried to give me to dissuade me from believing in God actually convinced me more deeply. Uh, one was when they talked about the common myths of every culture around the world. They all ha- have the same sort of creation story and flood story. And then they'd say in the next sentence that it was you know, not until much later these cultures came and they were able to interact with one another. And I thought, well, if you have these common narratives all around the world of completely disconnected cultures... It's just much more improbable that everyone would come up with the same story on their own than they're all reflecting on the same story that actually happened. Uh, Number six is breaks in the natural order. Uh, We would call these miracles. Uh, By the way, uh, this this used to be a big barrier for a lot of people. Uh, Not so much anymore. Uh, of people who even don't believe, people are much more open to the the miraculous, whether or not uh, they believe in God. Uh, part of it happened from uh, uh, from studies and uh, of discoveries in different fields, such as quantum mechanics, and how you know what what are real laws and are there even real laws. But also a, a philosophical explosion. Uh, really came about. There was this principle that uh, was universally accepted when it came to the miraculous, and it goes something like this, uh, that uh, something does not exist unless it can be proven scientifically and empirically. Uh, But then people said, that's a self-contradictory statement, because you can't even prove that statement and so, how can you use that as a principle? And then, as we we look at uh, we, we look at really the, probably the one that I think convinces most of us is transform lives. Uh, and this is the least scientific by far of all of them. Uh, in fact, I was talking to someone just the other day, and they said, "You know, uh, I used to be a real jerk." And now I'm less of a jerk because of Jesus. <laughs> and it's sort of that, that, that Jesus comes into our life. And we don't become perfect. But he, he starts that process of transforming us into his image. And in that, maybe for you, you say that. And you're saying, gosh, if God could do something like that for them, I want that in my life. We read in the book of Acts uh, 4.13, uh, it it says this about the religious leaders. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Basically, they're saying, hey, these guys, we can't believe that. They're, They're not that smart and brave on their own. But God, there must be something to what? They're saying. And my hope for you is, and like I said, this is just an overview, is just to know not only is it reasonable to believe in God, my opinion, I just think it's more reasonable to believe in God. But belief is one thing, what God calls us to is faith, and faith is an active trust in Him. So so what I want to do is I want to finish up by looking at a few ways that we can grow in our faith, no matter where you're at. Number one is to explore faith. Uh, And by the way, it's okay if you say, you know, I've been one of these people who I didn't believe in God and now I'm open to God, and wow, that could be humiliating to admit I was wrong. If Anthony Flew could admit it, maybe you could too. And many people, there's a local guy, I don't know if any of uh, uh, you guys know him who was very well known for saying that he didn't believe in God at all, and that was our own Bill Gates, who's now, I don't know where he's at with God, but I know he goes to church every Sunday at a Catholic church now. And so something changed. Along the way, in fact, there was uh, an interview in Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, again, another theological, scholarly magazine. Uh, <laughs> in March uh, uh, 14, uh, he basically said, "It makes sense to believe in God." Maybe for you, you say, "I'm not there yet, but I- but I want to explore it." I would encourage you to maybe look at some of the resources that I have in your outline. Uh, especially if you say, hey, I, I really have deep-seated intellectual scientific problems. I'd say most of us probably aren't there, that we can, even the stuff I've covered, you'd say, okay, I can buy that. But if you do, then, then look at it. There's a class, uh, our group's pastor, Derek uh, uh, Fisher, it has, and he's yeah, we're really for people who are just sort of getting on board, getting the deep things of faith, you can check that out, contact our group staff. Uh, that you would move to a place where you say, I'm re- I, I believe in what Pascal said. If, if it's true, I don't want to miss it. My goal is just for you to see, it's not only plausible, it's probable. And if that's true, I think it's incumbent upon us who've taken that step of faith to build our faith by this next step, and that's to share your faith. Romans 10, 17. It says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. In fact, in Romans chapter one, it talks about how creation itself gives evidence for God. So what does it mean to share your faith? Does it mean that you get up on the table at your school and say, do you know Jesus? No, you don't do that. Uh, It just maybe means admitting to people who you've been reticent, to say, you know, yeah, I believe in God. I don't know everything there is to no know about God, but He's real in my life. Maybe it's uh, taking uh, one of the invites we give at church, and you'd actually use that. By the way, those aren't just to tell you when the next series is, it's actually so you can say, hey, do you want to come check it out? You know, it's sort of a. a an interesting place, if you don't like it, you don't have to come back. Buy him lunch. By the way, don't be cheap and try to tell them about Jesus. That's not a good witness. <laughs> and uh, maybe it's that you would have conversations in your own household and that you would decide to grow if you're married uh, in, in your faith. Talk to your kids. And then it comes down to this. Take a step of faith. See, what will often happen is that our objections about God, most of them aren't scientific or philosophical. It's just, I'm really afraid to trust God with my life. And maybe for you, you've been struggling with doubt. And if you were going to be real honest, uh, it has to do with something that you've not let God have control of. Maybe it's uh, your life, your time, your money, your reputation bitterness and resentment or whatever you could say and here's what would be told in the book of Hebrews let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our water having our bodies washed with pure water and it's talking about that it's talking uh, about taking that step of faith that verse is so appropriate in some of our uh, campuses this weekend. We're going to have baptism. I was reminded of just how faith journeys uh, can change. I shared uh, this story when I first came here about seven years ago uh, about the contrast of two people, uh, Dwight Moody and who the famous evangelist and Robert Ingersoll, the famous lawyer and uh, political leader. And they were very similar in their lives. They were both raised in Christian homes uh, they both were respected, had large followings. Difference was Moody became a follower of Christ. In- uh, Ingersoll was uh, pretty anti-Christian of his day. He wrote this. He said uh, that a Christian was the ignorant past bullying the enlightened present. And it's, they both died around uh, the same time. And l- let me read this. It says, Ingersoll died suddenly. The news of his death stunned his family. His body was kept at home for several days because his wife was reluctant to part with it. It was eventually removed for the sake of the family's health. Ingersoll's remains were cremated, and the public response to his passing was altogether dismal. For a man who put his hopes in this world, death was tragic and came without consolation of hope. Moody's legacy was different. On December 22, Moody awoke to his last winter dawn. Having grown increasingly weak during the night, he began to speak in slow measure words Earth recedes, heaven opens up before me. If this is death, it's sweet. God is calling me, and I must go. Don't call me back. At that point, his family gathered around him, and moments later, uh, he passed away. The funeral service of Dwight Moody reflected a confidence. There was no despair. Many remembered the evangelist had spoke earlier that year in New York City. He said, someday you'll read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I'll be more alive than I am right now. That which is born of flesh may die, but that which is born of spirit shall live forever. I remember reading that story and the first time I shared it uh, in a church. And I was pastoring Santa Barbara. Uh, you know, nice community because God loves me and puts me in places like that. And uh, a lady came up and she, she was actually uh, the granddaughter of Robert Ingersoll. And she said, what you said is so true. But today things are going to be different. And she said, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where your family history or personal history has led you, God gives us that opportunity to change course.